welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, we got kind of a thin crew this morning. It's just Aaron and I. Uh, you know what, Aaron? I got. I <laughs> I'm got, just like that oh. you called me thin. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, you know, I got a bit of a reprimand from from a listener today. I mean, it was it was wrapped in affirmation. Loves the show. Grateful for it. Looks forward to every episode. Uh, but he did mention that what he really misses are the mini meetings. I think we're going to have to get the band back together for uh, an occasional mini meeting here. Or you and I can also do a mini meeting. That's that's a really that's a mini mini meeting. It's a, I suppose we could do that. Yes, we, uh, it's a, uh, it's, a l- it's a micro meeting. We could we we could let the brothers in on a morning walk. Now I take morning walks with one guy every single morning. A different guy. We, I've got a Monday guy, a Tuesday guy, a Wednesday guy, and so on. So and we get honest. So I suppose that might work. Yeah. Well, there it is. Well, there it is. So we have crossed the threshold of September fourteenth. So did you go out? Did you see the movie? I did. Uh, went and saw the film uh, in a uh, practically. Uh, full theater. They kept moving it to larger houses. So we were in the biggest theater in the multiplex here. And I think maybe it was full by the end. I sat close to the front. Uh, great response. And by the way, the Rotten Tomatoes rating on the film is 97% Whoa, positive. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, it's just phenomenal. And uh, well, just an awful lot of people in tears by the time the movie was over. Uh, a lot of deep conversation after the meeting. This uh, film is doing what I hoped it would do. It is opening conversation on a very difficult subject. And it does so with uh, winsome, uh, blistering authenticity. So when is it going to be out for people to view in their homes with some buddies? Hey, guys, come over. We're going to watch a movie about pornography. Yeah. I've been in touch with Jason Pamer. they had such good response uh, on the Fathom event that, that actually they will announce, I think next week, there will be a return engagement, one more theatrical showing. And then I believe uh, beginning early 2018, you'll be able to, uh, they'll give you the tools to book a showing in your local theater if you want to do that. Because you had, you had some challenges to... Yeah, our, See in the movie, didn't you? our closest the three locations were each two hours away, and so wow. in the end, our trip got canceled because some stuff came up, and folks just didn't have the four-hour round-trip availability. Uh, plus, the movie is just it's a lot. But then I was talking to a guy at church yesterday, and he's like, "Why didn't you just ask one of our local theaters and promise that you could get 150 or 200 people, which would have been very doable." Sure. And yeah. when he said that, I was like, oh my gosh, I could totally could have done that, and I didn't do it. So I would love for a, a second chance to yeah. uh, bring it into town. And it's also going to be available for special showings in churches. There's a study, uh, a discussion guide that's been created by our friends at Trueface. Uh, so uh, I, you remember Jason described the theatrical, the initial theatrical release is really the tip of the spear. It's the beginning of uh, a campaign. And even though uh, Samson Society is not a part of any campaign. Uh, I really uh, am convinced that you know we're being swept along in the current of something that we're a part of, that we've contributed to, and that uh, and it's all propelled by the Holy Spirit. This our culture and our church 
is about to have an honest conversation about addiction, and especially that difficult subject of uh, sexual addiction. And boy, the film just opens that conversation beautifully. Awesome. That's beautiful. Uh, yeah. Now we we can we uh, here we sat waiting in Cool Springs we, uh, to see the thirty second Samson promo. And did it get cheers? Was there just it, jubilation? We never saw it. <laughs> what? It wasn't this. Which and and of course, uh, and I was I didn't know whether to be angry or embarrassed or what happened that it wasn't there. Then come to find out, it did show in Nashville. It showed in Tulsa. Gary Davis from Tulsa said they had they had technical difficulties there, uh, so the movie was forty minutes late getting started. Meanwhile, they kept looping the pre roll, <laughs> so he saw the Samson thing several times. Uh, it showed in Seattle. It showed in uh, Memphis. Showed in a number of places. I, I'd be interested to hear from our listeners who went to the film whether they saw the Samson promo. Uh, but yeah. Nice. Well, I, I'm sorry you didn't get to see, uh, you know, your promo with your voice in your local theater. But maybe God was just making sure you wouldn't become arrogant or too attached to your own awesomeness in front of your right. peers. Could well be. So ultimately, yeah. it's probably your fault. So it should go back to <laughs> now. It should shift to shame instead of anger or embarrassment. Okay, good, 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 good. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah. I like to make things easier. So, anything we need to know? The weekend is fast approaching. I just got Samuel's ticket today, by the way. Oh, wow. Okay. I realized I was a little behind and was happy that there were still seats open on the flights that I was booked on for my child. Okay. So, we are excited and looking forward to coming out. What's the update? Yeah, it's uh, less than a month now, just uh, three weeks and change till the Pirate Monk Recharge weekend. At lovely Henry Horton State Park, about an hour south of Nashville, uh, I, I am close to announcing the name of uh, a musical guest or two. I've gotten great reception from guys in Nashville who are who said, "Yeah, I'd love to come down and do that thing." So uh, there will be so there'll be some uh, some entertaining music on Saturday night. I'm very uh, thrilled that uh, that Jeff Schulte will be there on Friday night. And by the way, listeners, if you haven't heard the Jeff Schulte episode, I think it's two episodes back, uh-huh. make sure you dial it up and listen to it. Give you a taste of what we're talking about, getting reconnected with uh, the wellspring of life, our own heart, and learn, uh, learning again that emotional vocabulary that we knew when we were very young and somehow lost most of us now if that sounds like the most chick thing you could possibly show up at reconnecting with your wellspring of life your heart (laughs) then please listen to the episode it will take the beth moore shine right off so okay okay good it's good (laughs) there's no Uh, and then and, and and you know what if you need after all of that if you need to go to the to the skeet range at the park <laughs> and, shoot and just fire some shotguns you can rent a shotgun they've got shells uh and you can blow some things out of the air and recover your masculinity <laughs> that is the this is the saddest thing i've ever heard in my life it's so true though come on we start talking emotions yeah. and we're we're not talking about men anymore that's wrong men we're reclaiming our position as humans with emotions mm. we're taking taking it back Meanwhile, the uh, development of the Silas app and the new website with 
virtual meetings continues to move along. We see one miracle at a time. Uh, we had a big bill due to today. Actually, it was due a couple days ago, $20,000. Uh, and uh, not all of it has shown up, but most of it has, enough to move the project forward. All right. So and, so it is called the Silas app, because I know for a while it was just going to be called the Slap but then it was it was put in the app store under fetish, and so that was bad for an app with guys that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is going to be yeah, Tinder for pirate monks. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Tinder. Oh, swipe, swipe, swipe right. left. <laughs> swipe swipe right if you want him to be your Silas. Swipe left if you want to date. <laughs> you is don't. that what you're? <laughs> That's awful. It's awful. You shouldn't have said any of this. You're just such know, a you're such a pirate. Uh, <laughs> so, anyways, uh, are we? We're still needing guys to sign up ahead of time because we're trying to make plans and details yeah. that. It, I, and it, this is so frustrating with men. Why do why do we wait until the last minute? Uh, why did you wait so long to I, buy that I, damn <laughs> airline ticket? I was going to say, I can't talk about this because for, what, a week now, I've been thinking, i got to do that because if that plane fills up, there's no seat <laughs> for my kid. And it yeah. took me till this morning on my day off to to do it. And it, yeah, it took, what, like 30 minutes. Uh, yeah. So why? Your question was why? I have yeah. no idea why. I there is limited space at the lodge. We're we're three and a half weeks out. It is more than half full now. Um, I remember when we did the first 48 hours of frankness, like 10 days before the thing started, we had 16 people sign up. Yeah. Wind up 60 guys came from 16 states, but it's it's just heart stopping. So so here's the here's the angle I'd rather take. What's it? Uh, Not that it might fill up and you won't come. But you would be, if you're considering it, it would be really gracious to those who are putting effort in if you would yeah. do it sooner rather than later. And that would yeah. be a gift you could give. So if you are like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like at the 80%, I, I'm thinking I'm going, then talk to, you probably haven't even talked to your wife yet as to whether or not it's, you know, hey, can I take off for the week? Have the conversation. Hopefully she'll be like, yes, please leave. I can get some stuff done. And then you'll be released <laughs> and, uh, and then sign up. So just uh, to do, give that little gift, if you would, of signing up. Right when you hear this, just log off. Hey, you can listen to the podcast and sign up at the same time. There you go. Uh, it might be a little bit difficult to get to it right now. I'll tell you what, I'm going to send out... Uh, we, we had to put up a splash page when the movie came out. Uh, we realized that uh, about six hours before uh, showtime. Uh, thank God, Christine Leahy, uh, Mike Leahy's wife, she creates put together a splash page. It's, it's Nate heavy. There's too many images of me, but at least it worked. Okay. Uh, I, have, I have no, I, I do all the technical stuff for this podcast yeah. at this point, And I have no yeah. idea what a splash page is. Yeah. Well, right now, if you go to samsonsociety.org or net or com or anything, uh, you'll see my ugly mug. Yeah, a whole new graphic, a place to play the promo that that uh, some people saw at the movie. Uh, below that, a mock-up of the 
uh, app below that, a place to get uh, the free download of the new ebook, by the way, which set a record at discipleship.org. What? 2000 Your record 2000 holder. downloads in the first three days. So wow. They're, they're, they're thrilled at that. So you can pick up a free copy of Beyond Accountability, The Life-Changing Power of Authentic Friendship. Which I will say is good. I was one of those downloads, uh, uh-huh. and I, I thoroughly enjoyed reading it. I enjoyed giving, getting the same, you know, your story from another angle and getting into this accountability discussion, which is so important. Yeah. Like, uh, and I get this question so much, like, well, what, are you against accountability? No, we're against stupid. And so <laughs> this this explains yeah. what that means. In so, yeah. so I'm happy to have this to get into other people's hands. Now, if, if you get to that pretty splash page, scroll all the way to the bottom, and the bottom left in yellow, uh, there's a member login. If you click on that, then you'll get to the old site, and there, under events, you'll find the okay. Pirate Monk Recharge Dudes, Weekend. ignore everything Nate just said. I will put a link on this podcast that will just, one click, take you to the place that you can sign up. Okay, good. Because I, right. I don't know about that. And I did put it on the link uh, two episodes ago. Hopefully that is the right one. Okay. The Eventbrite or something like that. Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I'm so looking forward to this weekend. It's going to be... Just fabulous. And by the way, uh, yet one more plug. Uh, I, I do want to remind our guys of the National Disciple Making Forum, which happens November 9th and 10th, also in Middle Tennessee, where Samson, Samson House will be co-sponsoring the men's ministry track. So I'll be speaking a couple of times. Uh, if you go to discipleship.org to sign up for that, and these will be, if, if disciple... If disciple-making is your thing, and if uh, for us Christians, uh, Jesus kind of made it a point that that's supposed to be our thing, <laughs> right? Uh, this, is, this, is, this is a whole conference uh, devoted to the idea of making disciples, disciples the way Jesus did. You want to get inspiration, you want to get equipping from some of the uh, most accomplished and experienced disciple-makers in, in the country, uh, you want to come to this event, so that's a disciple. And if you if you type in, there's a discount code. If you type in Samson Society as a discount, you get twenty percent off. That's a that is a legit amount of discount. I'm impressed. Yeah, ten yeah. percent. I always thumb my nose at means nothing. Yeah, twenty. That's real. Well, we have a special guest today. I'm looking forward to, and I'll, t- I'll I wasn't going to talk about it during the interview because it doesn't matter, but. I first came across this fella when he wrote a book called Irresistible Revolution. And I did a thing called Timothy Project. And mm-hmm. you came out. It was, I did. It was, uh, we had 14 students who paid $3,000 to live in poverty and serve people in poverty for, <laughs> for like two and a half months. And wow. week one was training week, and every week they would have some book they would read, and then they would engage the idea. So you came out, uh, Pete Gall was there, uh, Daniel Rassam, Gary Sibley was there, uh, and, yeah. and Tony Campolo came out that week right. as well. And it was one of the books they were reading was Shane's book. And Shane had been mentored by Tony 
with his. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. They were. Like, oh, I should have known that. Philadelphia. He, they're right there. Totally. So he graduated from Eastern. He went from Eastern. Yes. Oh, now it makes sense. Oh, man. I should have. See, this is. We need pre-production meetings for Pete's sake. So now we're doing yeah. we're doing this segment, which is before the interview, after the interview, talking about what should have happened before the actual podcast. But yeah. uh, it was great talking to Tony about him back then because he was like young and single and dreadlocked and uh, living with the homeless. It was all super Tony intense. was? I'm, 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 I'm confused. <laughs> no. I just pictured Tony Campolo with dreadlocks and I will be <laughs> delighted for the rest of the night. Uh, no. He was talking about this young Padawan, this guy. So yeah. I have never talked to him before today. And so uh-huh. this is, you know, how many years later? Like 15 years later. And, oh man, it, what, he, his enthusiasm, and we're talking about some heavy stuff today about justice in our culture uh, for victims and for victimizers. And yet he was so enthused the whole time and just kept getting closer to his camera on his computer. So you should really watch the interview on the YouTube channel, which will be up, uh, just to see how he was trying to climb through our computers and tell us, you <laughs> must care about this. And it was fantastic. So, so that's coming up next. All right. Here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast, uh, and we are privileged today to have our special guest joining us, no less than Mr. Shane Claiborne. Hi, Shane. Welcome, welcome to the uh, welcome to the podcast. You're easily impressed. Yeah, it's good to be with y'all. <laughs> That's why we like him. Hey, Nate. I don't know. You guys have a connection. Oh no! Nate really? is a graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary, and did you not go there for a time? Oh yeah, I did. I'm a, I'm a you're a Princeton grad. I'm a Princeton dropout. That's a, we hold something in common. Yeah, <laughs> you were smarter than I. Um, I. I hung in for the full three years. I, I burned three entire years at Princeton. So. <laughs> no, bless you, man. I, I yeah. <laughs> So, I'll, t- so, I'll tell you this. So when I when I left, they, they I was talking to one of the deans, and I said, "Well, I, I, I'm just going to have to drop out." And he said, "Well, we don't have dropouts at Princeton." And he, uh, he said, "We'll put you on a leave of absence." So I've been on a leave of absence for ten years. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those of you who don't know, Shane uh, has been a uh, boy, a, a man who has been talking about social justice and community and immersion within that for a long time now. Uh, I first came across you, as many did, with the Irresistible Revolution. Is it, right. still, is it still irresistible? I hope so, man. Yeah, I just, you know, I rewrote, 
uh, a 10-year anniversary edition. So I got to go back. This was cool, though. I got to go back and write scrap notes uh, in wow. the margins of all the things I, you know, that evolved or you might say differently or whatever, you know, or that and person I don't have anymore. <laughs> I'm curious what, what stuck out to you that you were really excited, like, oh, I get to go readdress this, but in a way that is more mature now that I am an older, wiser man. Well, I mean, it wasn't necessarily all that, but uh, I, wa I was, uh, you know, like I went to Iraq. Uh, I'm, maybe we'll talk about that, but I went to Iraq in 2003 um, during the, the bombing, but then I went back, and so I didn't, obviously hadn't had that experience. So these, we had this car crash coming out of Iraq, and these Iraqi doctors uh, saved our life, and it was one of the most powerful experiences of my life. But then I got to go back, and we reconnected with them, like, uh, a bunch of years later so it was you know I just got to like kind of yeah. write follow-up stuff and I wasn't married when I wrote the book my first time so I had to go rewrite that whole section on singleness and whatnot you know uh -huh. and uh, 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 what else you know I, I don't know it's, it's kind of fun to read what you wrote 10 years later and uh, think of how you might change it up or whatever so yeah, yeah. totally so I gave it a facelift now, at the time, you were living in in community in a communal setting, uh, as it were. Right? Is are you still in? Like, give me the world of Shane Claiborne real quick before we go on. Dude, I should just show you the world. Well, I guess you got a lot of people listening, but I got like so. We got this little village we've been building for twenty years now, and uh, um, it started really. The first experience was when we had a group of. Uh, homeless mothers and children that were living in an abandoned church building. So they, you know, that's, that's a little bit down the road from here, but they were living in there and a group of my friends and I got involved with that. We sort of, uh, you know, came in solidarity and stood with them in the building. And then we ended up moving in here. Um, I got married in that old church building. It was abandoned. Mm. The ceiling was still leaking and everything, you know, and then uh, this is where we have been, doing community for 20 years so i got um well uh, we'll show us for our for our youtube watchers this will encourage people to log on and check this out on youtube because i'm curious yeah all right well so, uh, you might be able to see out the window there can you see that oh yeah uh -huh. yeah so those are some of our murals and we've got you know like a 15 or so properties all on these blocks right here where we do gardens. I got chickens in my backyard. I might take you and shoot. I'll just show you everything, man. Uh, got chickens and we got a greenhouse and we're growing food and painting murals and helping kids with homework and uh, rehabbing abandoned houses. That's a new thing that we weren't doing as much of 10 years ago, but we can get houses for a dollar. A dollar? So. Un dollar, man. And we, so we get those and fix them up and, uh, uh, yeah, it's been awesome though. We so we kind of come alongside families that are in need of housing, and our our motto is is we won't do it for you, but we'll do it with you. Let's build a house together, and we we finance these houses and uh, sell them at no interest, and uh, provide you know are able to like build a little village here. So we we I got sheetrock dust on my shoes, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun though because we team up with contractors and volunteers and fixing up uh, abandoned houses as quick as we can. Now, okay, you've probably learned a lot of lessons in 20 years. Are there any of those that translate to John who lives in the suburbs? And he's like, I don't live in a 
anywhere close to this lifestyle. We we like it. You're living the ideal. What what could John in the suburbs draw into purposeful living? Cause I don't just... even know John, but I can just speculate a little bit. <laughs> I, uh, but like I think that. Um, I mean, I think community is in all of us. You know, we're created in the image of God. God reflects community to us, you know, Father, Son, Spirit. We, when the first humans made, it's not pronounced real good until they're together helping each other, doing life together. That story is kind of all through the scripture. You know, the Jesus says to the disciples, where two or three of you gather in my midst, I'm with you. So I think community has a lot of forms, and it's a little hard to wrap your hands around it, but it's what we're made for. And um, well, we live in like a, a, a culture that has made an idol out of individualism and independence. And uh, I, when, I look, when I look at the gospel, it's, it's actually more about interdependence. And it's not actually a bad thing to need God and to need other people and to, uh, you know, live in the context of community. So, um, uh, so I, I've been to cul-de-sac communities like where John lives, you know, uh, and and uh, that say, hey, you know, we just saw that the average that this is this, the average U.S. person is consuming the same amount as 500 people in Africa, parts of Africa. So like that doesn't make sense, you know. It doesn't make sense necessarily for every family to have a washer and dryer and uh, you know two cars and a lawnmower. So they started sharing in this little cul-de-sac community. And they have, uh, you know, one family's got the washer and dryer, and they go over there and do laundry. They got another family that keeps the lawn equipment, so they share a weed eater and lawnmower. And they, and before long, it had grown grown into this beautiful thing where they were doing summer camps for their kids together and painting murals, a lot of the same stuff we do, you know. And so I think I think in some ways we're exercising muscles that have atrophied a little bit, and so you don't just dive full on, but you start to figure out, you know, how can I do life a little deeper with folks? How can I be truer about myself? How can I share money with some folks and, you know, have a meal every week with some friends, things like that. So that's, it's kind of what okay. we've got to So what, there's this very deep resistance. Uh, I remember 15 years ago, I asked a bunch of pastors if we could all just have one office with one super cool copy machine and one office staff instead of having duplicating that in every church. Crazy ideas. It was meant with like kind of for some angry <laughs> resistance. It wasn't just like, yeah, now we like our copy machine. I to this day am still so confused about that. But I mean it's these are simple things you're saying, and yet what is that? Is is it an individualism, American individual. What? What? You explain it, because maybe you'll wrap this up for me. Well, I, I don't think we can make sense of it because I don't think it makes sense. You know, uh, I, I think what makes sense is uh, living more simply and and trying to share stuff. You know, um, I did this demonstration with the kids where I, I I lined them up. I got ten of them, and I said, "Okay, so this is a situation in our world. Eighty percent of the world has twenty percent of the stuff." 20% of the world is 80% of stuff. I'm like, those are just numbers. So let's show us what that looks like. So I had eight of them on one side, two of them on the other. So you're the 80%, you're the 20%. And then I got a pile of 10 items, all these different things, you know, like um, uh, a bunch of uh, Frisbees and pizza and all this. And so I divided up and the two kids had eight of everything. So they had this pile of stuff, you know, and the other kids over here, there's eight of them and uh, they've got two, you know, uh, 
things that they got between them. And I said, that's our world. And, and the kids are like, that doesn't make any sense. You know? <laughs> one, of, one of our little like young girls said, God wants us to be stewards of this. God doesn't want us to keep more than we need while somebody else has less. That doesn't make any sense. You know, so I, I think in some ways you're exactly right. You know, uh, that, that the world that we've created where we now know less than 100 people own the same amount as half of the world, 3.5 billion people own the same amount as 100 of the richest people. Like that, that doesn't make sense. That's not a safe world. It's not a sustainable world. So I think uh, Peter Marin, he was a wonderful brother in the Catholic worker movement. He said, if I'm crazy, it's because I refuse to be crazy in the same way this world's gone crazy. <laughs> so yeah, you know, sharing a copy machine, wild ideas, but they, they do make sense. So over the years, I've heard a lot of people uh, that used to say, I'm a Christian, then say, I don't want to be called a Christian anymore. I'll be a Jesus follower. I'll, you know, they'll make up their own way of being described because what the word Christian meant had shifted in the perception of the world. And I, I feel like the same thing has happened with social justice, that what that meant even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, has begun to shift and create teams of like, I don't want to be on that team, so I, I'm not about social justice if that's what it means. So then it just puts you on this other team. Can you talk about that shift? Because you've been doing all this. You've, you've been doing this in the midst of that shift. Well, I, sometimes our labels are unhelpful, you know, like I, I think liberal and conservative and uh, G.K. Chesterton, he's a great dude, you know, over in Europe, he said, uh, if I'm too liberal for the conservatives and too conservative for the liberals, I might, might be right where I'm supposed to be, you know. And I kind of feel like that sometimes. But when it comes to, I mean, even the word justice um, doesn't exactly translate from Scripture. You know, in the Bible, the word righteousness and justice, they're actually married together, these these two words, these two concepts. And uh, we think of justice uh, kind of like criminal justice as what did they do wrong and what do they deserve, you know, as punishment for it. But I think like the biblical notion of justice was asking a whole different set of questions. It was uh, what, what harm was done and how do we heal that harm? So like setting things right again, righteousness was very connected to like um, uh, th this idea of justice. So, I, mean, I mean, that's why I get really interested in that stuff because I think we've misunderstood a lot of uh, – these ideas like justice in the world and we all mean different things. And we say, we want justice for the person who did this. You know, some people, they mean they want them executed and other people, you know, want, want right. some kind of restoration. So, um, so justice, but, but I, I think like social justice, I would say, I mean, it's not a word that I use a whole lot, but I think when, when I hear that word, what I think of is that sin is personal we make bad decisions as individuals but there's also an element of sin that's social and systemic it manifests itself in our society and um so you know when scripture says we're wrestling not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers that there's forces at work in our society that are beyond the personal so i still believe you know and that's why i think these things are, aren't like um, irreconcilable. They're not binaries, you know, like, like God is personal. Sin is personal. God's healing hearts. But I think there's also a social element to sin that when, I mean, for instance, with racism, we still see 
how real that is. You know, um, I can, there's one study, you may have seen this, where they gave identical resumes. The only thing different was the name. And the name on one resume given to all these executives um, was a white sounding name. And the other one, uh, it was like Jason and Jamal. Mm -hmm. uh, and Shannon and Shaniqua. And every time the resume with the white sounding name, you know, uh, got the job. Um, so, I mean, I think there's things like that that are still the fact that one in three African American boys born today uh, can expect to go to prison. One in three. I mean, that's not just personal sin, that's like a social. Uh, uh, the residue of slavery and racism that continues to exist today. So, I mean, that, that's kind of what I, I mean when I think about social justice. So, the restoration, setting things right, is the goal, which is why, I don't know, maybe people thought it was weird when you were just doing, you know, he's doing homeless stuff. Okay, that's, that's social justice-y. Mm -hmm. But then you start talking about capital punishment... <laughs> And you're like, yeah, is he going to bat for the murderers now? To which I would think you'd say, yeah, I'm going to bat for the murderers. Uh, because there has to be justice for everybody or else it's not. You're, you're just now tipping the same scale in a different direction. So explain this shift. When did you start getting passionate about the issue of capital punishment? Well, well first of all, I'm, I'm not a single issue person, you know, I, I, I don't think of these things as issues really, but what no, happened no, to no, me? No, 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 you're a single issue person. That's <laughs> no, What happened to me was I, uh, well, honestly, after I wrote my first book, I started giving it away, uh, giving my books away to people who live in prison. I mean, it makes more sense than sending them an invoice, you know, and so I, I started giving these books away and I got letters and I got to know people who were living in prison. Um, and then I started asking questions about the, the death penalty. Um, one letter in particular, I'll never forget, uh, was a man f f who uh, was facing the death penalty. And um, in his letter, he said, um, I'm alive today because of the victim's family. I did something terrible that I will regret for the rest of my life. But the victim's family were Christians. And they convinced me of my own value. They convinced me that I'm better than the worst thing I did. Maybe God's got God has a plan for my life. And um, uh, and He said I'm alive today because they they uh, they stopped the death penalty for me. Um, and I, and I thought, man, that's fascinating. It's courageous. It's crazy, you know. And I I started leaning into that and um, got to know more and more people. And I mean, tomorrow I'll be visiting guys uh, in. Uh, Nashville on, on at Riverbend on Unit Two and their death row and um, uh, the, I mean the, the, the folks have uh, this this letter I have right here is from one of those guys that just got uh, off of death row after 30 years and he, he's describing to me in this little letter like what it feels like to walk on grass for the first time in 30 years. Wow! And he's in love with Jesus. You know, he's, he's a different person than he was uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, so I think, you know, at the heart of the death penalty for me, uh, really was the question, is anybody beyond redemption? You know, even if we do believe that someone's done something terrible, um, don't we believe that grace might have the last word or, or mercy can triumph over judgment as scripture says. So what's the best argument for the death penalty you've heard from a Christian? The one I made. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I was in favor of the death penalty for like a, a very large chunk of my life, you know, and I, I was convinced that 
It had its roots in Scripture. It was ordained by God. The Bible says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, you know. Um, uh, and as much as you shed someone's blood, your life should be taken. And so I, um, I had a very strong argument for the death penalty. And, um, and then I, I, I took a, a closer look. And, and I think it also um, became personal. I knew people that were wrongfully convicted. Um, and, and sentenced to death. Uh, I, I have a lot of friends who now that I'm involved in, in the movement that they um, um, were exonerated after being convicted for crimes that they had, they had nothing to do with. Um, actually, for every nine executions, there's one exoneration. So for every nine people that we've executed, one person has proved their innocence and is free. And you think, man, wow. that is not a good track record. If, you know, every 10 planes that took off, one of them crashed, we'd be like, whoa, you know. That, so it raises, wait, wait, it raises is the that, question. That statistic is true? You're sure about yes. that statistic? Oh, brother, I am I am more than sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's, it's absolutely um, scandalous. I mean, it raises the question of how much we trust our government, how much we trust broken human institutions. And that's why you see in a lot of states, conservatives concerned about the death penalty uh, that, that just really feel like sometimes the question is not, does someone deserve to die, but do we deserve to kill? I mean, because we still have very broken, I mean, we can, you know, it can't hardly get the government to, to fix our potholes, much less decide, you know, who's, who's uh, worthy of living and dying. So, yeah. So, so fill me in, because I, I thought this was really beautiful. When I first saw you talking about this in some interview or something, you talked about wanting to be passionate for justice for the victims and for the victimizers. And that's, of course, so much harder, even though that is the entire gospel, a God incarnate yeah. paying the price for all of the people that were wrong, which was everybody. So talk a little bit about that. It's, I mean, it's it is not the fair. irony. It's kind of the elephant in the room is we believe that Jesus died that we might be spared the death that we deserve, you know, and, and you, you kind of go, wow, you know, we worship a, a victim of the death penalty that died with forgiveness on his lips. Like how much clearer can it get, you know, and yet like the biggest champions of the death penalty are Christians. Uh, the Bible belts, the death belts, you know, wherever Christians have been most concentrated is where the death penalty continues to survive. So I, I found those um, those uh, uh, kind of contradictions so so troubling. So I, I, you know, dove into this. But some of my heroes uh, now are victims of violent crimes um, and and. Uh, murder victims, family members, folks who have survived violent crimes that took the life of someone they loved, but they believe that that we can honor the victims of crime without creating new victims through the death penalty and without mirroring the very violence that we um, hope to rid the world of. That, that really, literally what goes on the death certificate in an execution is homicide. Manner of death is homicide. It's killed by, the, this person has been killed by the state. Um, and so, you know, what does it really look like? Well, I think of my friend uh, Mary Johnson in Minneapolis, her son was killed in a, in a horrific random shooting. Um, and they found the young man that killed her son. Initially, obviously, she, you know, wanted harsh punishment for the person that did it. And she's um, 
she really began to feel the spirit of God move in her. And, and she, she's a bit of a Pentecostal woman. And so she read this poem that's anonymous. It's incredible. Um, these two women are talking in heaven, this kind of angelic vision of this, this poet. And, um, and that one woman realizes that she's talking to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she's stunned. She goes, oh, my gosh, you're Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Mary says back to her, uh, tell me about yourself. And she says, the other woman says, I'm the mother of Judas, Judas Iscariot. Mm. And they embrace and they weep together over what happened to their children. Um, and then Mary, back in uh, Minneapolis, Mary Johnson, she says, I realize there's another woman involved in this story. And she got to know the mother of O'Shea, the young man who killed her son. And eventually she got to know O'Shea, the young man that did that. And they actually became family. In her words, she said, he took my, my only son from me, so I had a lot of love to give. And I needed to give myself towards trying to stop this kind of thing from happening. So what they did was they started an organization in Minneapolis called Two Mothers. One has a support group for mothers who have lost their children to violent crimes. The other has a support group for mothers whose kids have taken lives and who have done violent crimes and they're recovering together. And it's amazing. So like years later, fast forward, O'Shea ends up getting out of prison, right? I mean, it's crazy. These are my, these are like every one of these stories can be a movie. And like she says, so he gets out of prison. This is what he says. I feel like the luckiest man in the lot in the world to have two mothers to welcome me home. And he wow. became a next door neighbor to Mary Johnson, to the, the woman whose son he had, he had taken his life. And they are a force to be reckoned with when it comes to this kind of restorative justice. Uh, and, and so I think we need more courage like that. So how do you address if somebody says, I think even w worse in people's minds than murderers are abusers of children. And yet every abuser of children I've met was deeply abused in their past so you're saying okay they are a victimizer but they've also been victims and we want to see some restorative justice but i know first reaction is well you're well you're going to let them off the hook for what they did none of this is about letting off the hook it's about something deeper so how would you answer a person that says what they don't deserve that and you're 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 making it too easy on them yeah yeah well, man, I thought we were just, I thought we were going to talk about what it means to be men in society and stuff. No, but this, is no, this is awesome. This is awesome. Um, well, so I, I do think there, there is, without a doubt, there are people that are dangerous to society. I, I think of folks like Dylan Roof, you know, folks, there, there are folks that are eminently dangerous and have done terrible things um, that are unrepentant in what they've done. Um, uh, and, and, and as you look at the death penalty, though, we kind of have this idea that we're killing the worst of the worst. But as you look closer, you see that actually that's not true. We're killing often the poorest of the poor and those who have the least amount of resources. You know, as the old saying goes, whoever doesn't have the capital gets the punishment. And you don't find many wealthy people on death row uh, um, or Sister Helen says it's the difference between the OJs and the NoJs. You know, that we, we have different versions of justice for those who have resources and those who don't. And so the, the, one of the biggest 
indicators of who gets the death penalty is not the atrocity of the crime, but the resources of the defendant, arbitrary things like the race of the victim. When the victim is white instead of a person of color, it often ends in an execution. Um, and even geography. I mean, a zip code can depend, uh, can determine who lives and dies, where the crime is committed. Um, so I think this, you know, the, the whole real system of capital punishment um, is, is a, such a broken, you know, messed up system. Um, and and, and I, I think we do need to protect society from people who are violent and imminently dangerous. Um, and, and that's been the Catholic position on this too, is that in industrialized societies, we don't need the death penalty anymore. We have other ways of protecting people from someone who's dangerous than killing that person. Um, because you also see that a lot of folks have mental illness and they have, like you said, they've been mm -hmm. deeply wounded. I just read this horrific story about this young man that was so abused as a kid that he had to wear feminine hygiene products in his pants because of how he had been raped and mistreated. And he went on to do some terrible things. And, and yet like in the end, I don't think this death penalty is doing anything to restore those wounds uh, in this world and even his own by taking his life. Uh, so, so, yeah, that, so let me let me see if this uh, two things to be clarified. Number one, if you don't like what Shane's saying, he used to have dreadlocks. He's just a just a post hippie hippie. Two, uh, you're not talking about we just let everybody off the hook. There is no punishment. There is no saying, hey, you're not safe. This is specifically talking about using killing as a punishment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't we don't rape people who rape to show that rape is wrong, but we we still hold out hope that somehow we can kill those who kill to show that killing is wrong. And I, I think that whole system is both unbiblical and just a, a, a terrible logic because what we do is we end up um, actually um, – mirroring the very thing that we we were trying to teach our kids not to do all right well let's let's shift gears into uh what it what it means to be a man and uh <laughs> <laughs> well I, i've got a question shane uh i was introduced into the uh i, I was a, a dedicated loner an individual wanted to be uh, the lone ranger saw myself above the run of common humanity and was introduced to the necessity for community by addiction. Mm. It turns out there's no private way out of addiction. We, we have to help each other out. Yeah. And so community becomes life-saving. Um, how do you see addiction playing out in the world you live in now? Mm. Wow. Well, first, thanks for your, your, your story and thanks for uh, uh, all the gifts I think that you, you bring out of your own, uh, your, your own experience with community and your own wounds. You know, I, I'm a big believer uh, that Henry Nowen was right when he said that we're, we're wounded healers. Mm -hmm. you know, the, be the best healers in the world have bumps and bruises and those, those things which we are kind of conditioned to think are our liabilities. You know, they hold us back. They actually are our credentials. You know, they, they become the, the, the people that I know doing some of the most redemptive work in the world have some pretty deep wounds and, and bumps and bruises, you know? So I think like the best folks here in our neighborhood to help uh, people coming off heroin are people who have 
uh, two or three years clean or 10 years clean, you know? Um, And so that idea uh, that we're wounded healers, I think is, is inherently biblical and it's a part of AA and NA, you know, and that, that's uh, what it's built on. I I think the church has tons to learn um, from the recovery community uh, about uh, authenticity, vulnerability, community, you know, um, um, because I, I think a lot of what the church is built around is this self-righteousness mm-hmm. that pretends that we have it all together. And I think that's why it's turned a lot of uh, uh, young people off and others that know that we don't have it all together. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, um, and I don't think that the world is looking for Christians that are perfect. They're looking for Christians that are honest um, yeah. and they're, that, are, that are willing to be uh, true about their struggles and, and the recovery that they're in. So, I, I mean, I think that that's what the church is. You know, it's a um, um, wounded people helping other wounded people. And um, someone said one thirsty person showing another thirsty person where they found water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, right. how have you had to navigate those waters as you've created a community You said, okay, these are folks that, you don't have enough money to do this. We're going to help. We're going to bring you into this tribe we're making. But as you just said, how much money you have puts you right in the path of the train of a lot of kinds of addictions. Uh, so how do you form community dealing with the physical, but then go into the emotional and the habitual areas of helping people out in their lives? Yeah. Well, in our, in our, we have a community here um, that is all folks in it, in in recovery from our main drugs are, are heroin and uh, and crack, um, and uh, there's several. There's maybe sixty people that live at New Jerusalem. That's the name of the community. But one of the things that they have on their wall is a is an incredible quote. It says, "We cannot fully recover until we help the society that made us sick recover." So there's this sense that the drugs are an individual choice, but it's also an economy. I mean, the, yeah. the, can, the can drugs you say, are... Can you say that again? We cannot... Fully recover until we help the society that made us sick recover. Wow. So again, the sense that this, this, this drug economy... I mean, we lost 100,000 jobs in Kensington in, in, in this neighborhood. We have 700 abandoned factories, and one of the replacement industries is the drug economy. And so I can't just tell kids on the corner, don't sell drugs if I don't have an alternative way that they can have dignified work, you know, and I, I think that's a part of what we see um, in this kind of the work that we're doing is holistic, um, is that we're, we're trying to um, get underneath that, you know, so we, we are, um, you know, helping one another recover from our addictions, but we're also trying to repair an economy. Uh, that uh, is has been deeply damaged uh, as the factories left our neighborhoods and left us with uh, quite a, a mess of the residue of the industrial economy here. So you've gone you've gone right back to suburban John because that principle is not exclusive to drug economy. If you're yeah. against abortion and have an empty room in your house and you want to talk about being against abortion but aren't willing to put a pregnant person who in their life situation feels like, oh, I, I can't have this baby, I got to have an abortion, but you will not put them in your home and care for them through that pregnancy and whatever decision comes next, then shut up. Hmm. 
So I, 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 mean, I like to say a lot of times I, I want to be pro-life like M Mother Teresa was pro-life. And for Mother Teresa, you know, she, she didn't uh, wear T-shirts that said abortion is murder and have many bumper stickers or anything. But she sure did take in a lot of 14-year-old moms and she rescued kids that were abandoned in the train stations. And I think that's really what it looks like. And, right. you know, w one of our teachers, Dorothy Day, she's another great woman of faith. She said, if simply every Christian home would make room for the homeless, we would end homelessness overnight. If every Christian family would take in a foster kid, we'd put the system out of business. I mean, it's, it's true. So in, in the end, there is a, right. a personalism, you know, to loving our neighbor as herself. And what, um, a, what, is, what, a, what a crazy thing, though, with these ideals. You're against drugs, but, and then you put the caveat, I can't tell them not to sell drugs unless I'm a part of giving them another option. If we personalize all of the issues that we're passionate about, what changes in our lives? Yeah. It's I think that's why we like issues because they allow us a certain degree of uh, distance from them, mm -hmm. you know? So we talk about issues like DACA or Dreamers. Um, but in the end, I mean, to me, th these are friends, they're neighbors, they're coworkers, they're there's kids that we're sending to college, you know? Like, uh, so that that's why I think that even the idea of social justice can create that distance. Um, and, and, you know, mother Teresa said it, it can be very fashionable to talk about the poor, but not as fashionable to talk to them. And if we, really, <laughs> if we, if we really care about justice, then we know the names of the victims of injustice, that this isn't just about issues. It's about loving our neighbor as ourself and our neighbor has a name. Mm. Well, I didn't know what to what we were going to talk about today, but I, I've enjoyed this. Welcome to the uh, the subversive Pirate Monk podcast today. That's it. Uh, <laughs> Nate, do you have any final questions for the Claiborne here before we let him have his evening? Well, I, I want to make sure that our listeners uh, can connect with Shane and his community and what they're doing uh, and can... Uh, contribute their energy and can gather some energy from him. How do, how do folks contact you, Shane? What's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with Absolutely, what you're doing up man. there? Well, for folks that use social media, uh, I'm, I'm uh, pretty active in, in throwing stuff on uh, Twitter and Facebook at my name, Shane Claiborne. Um, and then uh, a lot of the other links to our local work, to our affordable housing, the recovery community, all that stuff you can find, uh, uh, on my website, shaneclayborn.com uh, or .org, one of those. Yeah, and then, uh, uh, but we, we uh, yeah, and if you're in Philly, uh, we're, we're uh, the name of the community is The Simple Way. So uh, maybe some folks can come say hey. That's fantastic. Very cool. Well, it sure has been a privilege having you on. I know it's Absolutely. the end of a long day, and uh, I, I'm so grateful you took some time to talk to us, Shane. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me, y'all. We'll do it again sometime. All right. Fantastic. And we'll be right back here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. <laughs> you sound like a pirate. You pull off the row well.
Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, so, Nate, you probably had no idea where that interview was going. What were you thinking? Uh, boy, that's a good question. I was just tracking with him, man. Uh, I, these social issues, it's amazing how uh, I have been conditioned as a middle to upper middle class American or white American uh, Protestant Christian, I have been handed kind of a dossier of political beliefs that I have been told are biblical. Uh, uh, and uh, to have somebody challenge what in my world has been conventional thinking, very refreshing. And I'm glad that I'm at a spot where uh, I've got the bandwidth, the openness to sit in that conversation mm. and actually find myself swayed to the other side. Well, and, and if you didn't catch that, listener, if you found yourself like, oh, I can't, I don't even want to address this, I know what I believe about capital punishment, uh, then listen to last week's conversation with Science Mike about what was happening in your brain when, the, <laughs> when this topic was brought up. Exactly. It's kind of the perfect yeah. two to go together, right? Isn't it really? Yeah. And I, I love, I haven't ever talked to my dad about this. My dad was on the national debate team. Uh, he went from, well, no, I won't even tell that part without his permission, but he was on the national debate team in Los Angeles. So he would fly all over the country and have to argue either side of lots of issues. So he was always Mm -hmm. very good at those kinds of conversations. And I grew up in a very blue collar conservative church. And I remember this is like mid eighties and somebody brought up capital punishment, and my dad just started asking questions about why they just weren't out for vengeance and how that was a Christian thing to be about. And I never knew if he believed what he was saying, but he hor- right. he horrified everybody in the lobby of the church because sure. he started asking questions that were just... And I remember those questions, and they stuck with me through when I was in college and it would get brought up, and it was just the default Christian thing. I think yeah. my dad was annoyed that there was a default Christian thing where there weren't yeah. answers to obvious questions. Yeah. And I really, I've, I've always appreciated that about my dad. And yeah. this was one of the biggest issues where I saw, I felt uncomfortable in that lobby. And he, yeah. he just seemed oblivious, like, I'm just asking some questions here. <laughs> it was so, so, That's beautiful. so obvious he wasn't. So it was, it was fun to to hear Shane talking about it just because it, it it made my mind go back to, yeah, Christians, there are some important questions here we should answer. Yeah. So yeah. it's good. Yeah. Well, we want to hear from you, our, our friends out there, especially those friends that we've never met, because that's awkward to be a friend of someone you've never met. So please send us a note, drop us a line. We actually honestly do enjoy getting them and if you have a question we'd love to address those uh and as you see from today's podcast ask some questions that are just impossibly difficult or inappropriate to answer that will delight us even more so you can send them to the pirate monk podcast at gmail.com uh, all inappropriate questions, attention, Aaron Porter. <laughs> Please. But if there's a picture attached, I won't open it for fear of what it might be. So <laughs> you'll have to embed all pictures in the email. 
Okay. Sweet. That's it. All right. Well, time has flown, Aaron, once more. Time for us to wrap up this weekly visit, you and I. It's been a great time, uh, but we do have to go. Uh, so, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we're your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Arg. Excuse me.